You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. This month, Roxana Moran gets to hear more from Robert Harrington, the new dean of Wild Cornell Medicine, about his move to New York and plans for the future. Hello, everyone. It's Roxana Moran from Mount Sinai and Rock's Heart Radio, our June taping of our podcast. And I would say, for those of you who are listening, just you know, put your seatbelts on and imagine that this probably is our podcast of the year because, you know, hot off the press, we've got, here's the news headlines, Dr. Robert Harrington, a cardiologist and the Arthur L. Bloomfield Professor of Medicine and Chair of Department of Medicine at Stanford University has been named the Stephen and Susan Weiss Dean of Weill Cornell Medicine and the Provost for Medical Affairs of Cornell University. Wow. That's who's our guest, Dr. Harrington. I want to welcome him. Obviously, he's amazing, and we all know him as a past president of the American Heart Association and still on the board of the American Heart Association. He's chaired the Department of Medicine at at Stanford since 2012. But previous to that, where I got to know him, as a distinguished professor, the Richard Sean Stack, MD, distinguished professor and director of the Duke Clinical Research Institute at Duke University. He's amazing, obviously, on so many levels. But before we get into the details of where he grew up and why he's coming back to the East Coast, let's welcome Dr. Harrington. Bob, is it okay that I call you Bob at this interview and be able to talk to you as my old friend? Or are you now the big dean that we have to like say Dean Harrington? Well, you've you've known me a long time. I will always be Bob, and uh, you know that uh, jobs, et cetera, are not going to change that. Uh, particularly, jobs are not going to interfere with my friendships. Um, but I want to thank you for having me. This is uh, uh, a real honor to be on your podcast, and uh, uh, I suspect I know a few of your listeners out there in the cardiology world. Yeah, no, it's wonderful to have you and congratulations on this incredible, incredible uh, position. Obviously, one of the highest positions, uh, certainly in medicine, is to be the dean of the medical school and the and the provost uh, for medical affairs. This is tremendous. And um, I guess other than the fact that it is this, uh, you know, next step, What really drew you to leave the beautiful, sunny, gorgeous Stanford University, one of the best, most beautiful campuses? Now, I don't want to make you all upset about leaving because I'm so excited about you coming to New York. Let me just say it was like I was jumping, doing jumping jacks and to have you and Rhonda and the family and hopefully the family more towards here. But what what that really drew you to, to this position? Because I've heard you say you are so happy in California. The things are really great. So what what was it? Well, you know, after 11 years, I I would say I wasn't looking for a job, but this job seemed to find me. And and what happened was that I got a phone call from, or an email rather from uh, a good friend who works in one of the executive uh, search firms who's known me for quite some time. And, you know, when you get those, those contacts, you, you call people back and say, what, do you, what, what might this be? And as he began to lay out the opportunity, 
sent me the materials, I said, wow, this really is a special opportunity. You have a great university with a great medical college. And what, Roxanne, what really attracted me to the role is that this is a, a dean's role with a lot more scope than you know than many dean's roles. Um, this this really covers the landscape. It is uh, overseeing the usual academic pieces within a medical school of research and education, but it also has some responsibility along with the uh, uh, the CEO of the uh, uh, the physicians organization, the practice plan. And, it has extensive global reach with a uh, medical school um, that's going on 20 plus years in uh, in the Middle East, in Qatar. Uh, it has other global programs. It's attached to a great university in Cornell um, and the relationships between the two uh, have not perhaps produced as much research collaboration and educational collaboration as it, as it can. And so that attracted me. And then finally, as you know better than I, it's attached to a really fantastic academic medical center, uh, New York Presbyterian, um, that's in this very unique position of being a health system with two academic medical centers. I mean, with two medical schools, Columbia and Cornell. So you put all of that together. And from a leadership perspective, it was something that I thought I should consider and then I started interviewing. And as I met people and lear was learning about Wild Cornell and learning about New York Presbyterian and learning about Cornell University, I got more and more excited. And fortunately, they seemed interested in me as well. And um, the whole conversation, the visits, et cetera, proceeded very quickly, as these types of roles often do. And uh, I started talking to people in April, and they made the announcement you know, June 1st. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I think about you as one of the world's uh, best um, mentors, a physician, a leader, uh, someone who cares deeply, not just for the, of course, for the patients, but also for the trainees, uh, for the diversity of our field, and deeply understands how important it is for people to collaborate, or uh, also uh, how deep how important it is to think about the next generation and where medicine is going to be, not just five years from now, but maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. And I think about how you've always been um, inclusive and very, very thoughtful in the way you, you lead. Um, but to me, this is the biggest news in medicine. Uh, I feel like you are now stepping up above and beyond the Department of Medicine to the entire medical field in maybe setting an example of how we should be looking at medicine in the future. And maybe some of your vision in terms of bringing all of this together and working across the disciplines, but also improving and enhancing the well being of the physicians and that workforce, not just the physicians, but the entire medical workforce that you, I know have focused your life to and on so many levels. How do you see um, the future as you're looking at your crystal ball and how do you hope to make a difference here in terms of here's the work that needs to be done and that's why this is a calling for me to go all the way to the other side of the country. 
So you, you've answered some of that within your intro remarks. Um, you know, I think about the future of healthcare and the future of medical education and the future of medical research sort of all intertwined. And we've got some pretty big problems as a society. Uh, healthcare consumes an enormous part of, uh, of the U.S. budget. Um, despite that enormous commitment of resources as a society, uh, many, many, many are left without access to uh, appropriate and adequate health care. We also know that science continues to, re particularly discovery science, continues to be um, an explosion of new knowledge. And yet it takes a long time to try to apply that new knowledge to the clinical setting, to the direct care of patients. And we're training people who are going to now exist in a medical world uh, with chat GPT, machine learning, artificial intelligence. Um, but yet fundamentally what we do as doctors and other clinical and other clinicians is we take care of people. So how do you put all of this together in a way that we can deliver on our promise to society and the people in our society uh, with equitable and fair healthcare access, with state-of-the-art um, care for complex conditions, with public health policy types of approaches to the chronic diseases, what are the skill sets you need to work in that environment? What's the training you need to work in those environments? So I'm interested in all of that and trying to figure out from the vantage point that I'll have as, um, as the leader of an incredible uh, medical college, Wild Cornell, how do we best utilize the, um, the resources that we'll have to do world-class research to partner with NYP to take world to give world class care and make us a great academic health system, and how do we do create the environment for research and education that allows us to answer some of these big societal problems? So, I'm really excited because these are there's big problems ahead, um, but that's what I like to do, as you know. I like to problem solve and. Yeah. Uh, and this is an opportunity to problem solve, frankly, on a very big stage where um, where what we do at Wild Cornell can really make a difference. Yeah, and I'm certain that you'll make it happen. And I think what you're bringing is is a bright, shining light to the hopefully to the future of medicine. And I think we need more leaders like you who are going to have that kind of a vision. You know. Um, when, when the announcement came out and Twitter was lighting up uh, all over, uh, the most used hashtag was hashtag he for she. And that's you, Bob. You've uh, mentored so many, but you're also he for he. You're he for all. Um, but most importantly, um, your mentorship towards um, women who, are work, who, who graduate more than 50% of the medical schools, um, but in our own subspecialty of cardiology are underrepresented and we're working hard to give them a place. Can you say a couple of words about what your vision is, not 
not certainly as like just just your vision and the Bob Harrington vision. It may not have anything to do with your dean position, but your the Bob Harrington he for she position. So others could hear this. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been um, a, a strong advocate for a long time that big problems are best solved by diverse, multi-talented, multidisciplinary teams. And that if one wants to take on big issues, one needs to have people engaged who represent all different viewpoints of that issue. And as you, you know, I've become over the last 10 plus years, while I've had positions of influence, um, have become con increasingly concerned that our field of cardiology and maybe medicine more writ large has not been as inclusive of some groups, including women, um, as it needs to be if we're going to maximize talent. Uh, uh, so I have seen this as one of the key components of my leadership values is that I'm a very inclusive leader. I want to have all sorts of voices at the table. I, I made the comment during, I think, one of my um, during one of my interviews that if you go to the Stanford Department of Medicine website and you look at my leadership team, it's a very diverse leadership team. It includes people from different areas of expertise. It includes people from different areas of the world. It includes men. It includes women. It includes a lot of women and um, includes people of different races, different backgrounds, uh, different viewpoints, uh, different career stages. I have some young people on my uh, leadership team because I think it's important to hear the voices of our more junior members of our community. And I want to give all of those leader voices a an organizing structure so that we can work together to take on some pretty complicated issues. And um, I intend to do the same at Wild Cornell. And so you'll see me um, really advocating for and promoting uh, inclusivity in everything we do. Uh, one of the things I've really learned from my team of, uh, of leaders, particularly in the DEI space, is that diversity, equity, inclusion, yes, but let's also not forget justice and belonging, and uh, which we include in our leadership uh, vision at Stanford. And I intend to, uh, to do that as we move east. These, these are critically important issues. And I've never understood why you think you can solve a problem if you don't have all voices being heard uh, that are affected by the problem. That just has never made sense to me. Maybe that's the clinical researcher in me. Um, that, that you really need to get people engaged. So no, I was very proud of the fact that when you added up all the hashtags, hashtag he for she, but maybe most proud of all of my four daughters who always love to see that the, the, the dad's advocating for um, for women and uh, and inclusion more broadly. Yeah, so amazing. Oh, it's just, I can talk to you for hours, Bob, but uh, as you know, my podcast also is a little bit informal. So we're going to move into the informal level. Now that you're moving all the way to the East Coast, a um, couple of questions here, tough questions. All right. So, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, you know, <laughs> and I know that you got not just the red pin on your shoulder that you always wear that I see the red pin, the, the AHA red dress. 
but you also have those red socks on all the time and you dangle them everywhere. The Red Sox, you're a Red Sox fan. Um, so will you promise that we could do the, the Red Sox Yankee series back and forth from Boston to New York? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you might like the New York Yankees a little bit more now that you're gonna be a New Yorker. Well, let's <laughs> get to the essence of this that I was born a Red Sox fan, went to my first Red Sox game when I was about six years old, seven years old, and um, have been to probably hundreds of Red Sox games since that time. And I, I'll state for the record right now, Roxana, I will be a lifelong Red Sox fan. Even, even now that the curse of the Gambino has been lifted and you guys are doing great, still like, no way, no way, huh? It is a you Red know, Sox fan. And despite I'm, that- I'm a Red Sox fan for life. I'm a Celtics fan. I'm a Bruins fan. I'm a Patriots fan. Oh, Jesus. You're such uh, a Bostonian fan. <laughs> but but I will love being, as Gordon Tomaselli, who you know well, yes. um, said to me, he said, welcome to the belly of the beast for a Red Sox fan. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It'll be a lot of fun. But despite all of that, while Cornell was smart enough to choose you, even though you're a diehard Red Sox fan. Oh, I'll enjoy being in New York. New York, you know better than I. I mean, it's a great city. The culture, the uh, the arts, the museums, the parks. Um, the, everything. You know, the, the, everything. The food <laughs> everything. scene is going to be fantastic. I know and all your friends just, are here. I'll, I'll just have to watch myself when I, you know, I'll have to resist the temptation to put on my Red Sox cap and go walk around the corner. Then, uh. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. There's a lot of those. Oh, there are lots of them when we walk around. It's um, we, we, we still love, love uh, some of the, some of the Red Sox fans, not all of them, but, uh, but you for sure, we love you. Um, <laughs> the other, um, the other big question is, you know, you're um, moving over Napa, to New York, where are you going to get your good wine? And I know for a fact that um, you're a wine connoisseur. And uh, how's that going to go? Well, again, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's it's a global economy, and people will will ship me wine wherever I live, um, right. as long as I remain as long as I remain a good customer. And uh, you know, we, we we there's still be plenty of reasons for us to be in California for uh, for various events and uh, both personal and professional. So I, I, I fully intend to, uh, to visit wine country. Um, I, I also intend to come out and visit you on Long Island and go to wine country. That's what there. I was going to say, the North Fork of Long Island. Yeah. Uh, we have some, some wine there, but also you're closer to Provence and to Burgundy and to <laughs> Beaujolais and all the places in, in France, uh, you'll be closer. So hopefully. Well, and don't forget, we're also closer to Duke basketball. So that's. And gonna... that's my next question. So I know that Duke basketball is, is another draw to the East coast. And of course uh, your, your major roots in, in Duke. Um, so what are we doing there? It's still, obviously the Duke basketball games are going to always have some seats for the Harringtons. Isn't that right? Well, you know, when we moved to Stanford, my, my wife said, you can move to Stanford, but we're not giving up our Duke basketball tickets. And so for 11 years, we've traveled back to Duke basketball games from the West Coast. 
And it's going to be a lot easier to do from New York to get down to North Carolina for basketball games. Plus, and you you probably know this, New York is a huge hotbed of uh, of Duke fans. Oh, with, oh with crazy. Games in yes. Madison Square Garden all the time. And so, yeah, we're looking forward to that. That's right. Duke Duke basketball is, is you know, there, there's going to be a lot of great fun in New York. There's a lot of great New York sports. And I know that you'll be, you're such a great sports fan. And then at last but not least, your incredible family, uh, you know, um, the four daughters, all fantastic. The five grandchildren, incredible. But the most important is your significant other, your your better half, uh, Rhonda Larson Harrington, who's, uh, I love her. I'm her biggest fan. Uh, we're going to have to get her over here. And how's that? How's that working out? Yeah, well, you know, Rhonda has always, you know, we view this as a, as a team, as a partnership and uh, try to be supportive of each other in our professional endeavors. She, as you know, is one of the co-directors of the Stanford master's degree in physician assistant studies. And, you know, she intends to continue to do that, that if the pandemic taught us one thing is that we can use video more efficiently to work from afar. And she intends to continue to work in the program going back when she has to teach, you know, much of what she does administratively, she can do uh, from the East coast, but there'll be some things that, for example, teaching that she has to be back in the West. So she intends to go back and forth and, uh, and continue to, you know, she's helped, she founded this program. She's helped build it to a top 10 program. And my job is to help support her ambitions to continue to do that. Wow. No, Bob, you're the real deal. The daughter from Denver will go back and forth. What's that? You know, Bob, you're the real deal. That's all I have to say. I really, I rest my case, you know, incredible supporter of all, but also really important to see you as the, as this fantastic family man, but also just um, really supportive of, of the, the profession of medicine in general. And, and uh, you're, future hopes are my light for my daughters who are two of them who are hoping to become physicians and, and, uh, and uh, this brightens my heart. And I have to tell you, the red carpet has already been rolled out. I know your start date is September 12th, uh, something like that. And uh, we just can't wait to get you here and to have your bright light shine from the East Coast now to the rest of the world. And looking forward to working closely and collaboratively with you as before, and even now in a much closer quarters. Thank you so much for making the time to be with us. This truly is one of the best uh, best of the year uh, podcasts, just getting to know Bob Harrington a little bit better. No bow tie for you though, right? I, I got that part. No, right? no, no bow ties. And I'll have to figure out, you know, on the West Coast, I never wear a tie. On the East Coast, I'll have to wear one sometimes. So <laughs> all to, right, a little bit. I'll, 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 have, I'll have to figure out what's uh, culturally appropriate on the East Coast again. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bob. For ha- it was wonderful to have you, and thank you all for listening. Keep on listening to to our podcast, and this is Rock's Heart Radio, and it's Roxana Moran signing off. Thank you again.